Hi, it's Richard from the Story Walk Podcast. The Story Walk Podcast is composed of real stories that I make up while I am out hiking, snowshoeing, skiing, and backpacking with my children. You may notice background noise during the podcast due to the real nature of recording these stories in the outdoors. The Story Walk Podcast is supported by 10adventures.com. Go on 10 adventures to find great family adventures in over 60 countries on Earth. Imagine a family-friendly safari in the Serengeti, exploring Inca ruins in Peru, a cycling holiday on car-free roads in Germany, and many, many more great ideas. To find all the great family adventure ideas and to make memories that will last a lifetime, check out 10adventures.com family. Now, on to today's story. Welcome back to the Story Walks podcast. We're out for a walk with a little puppy dog and backed by popular demand is a Monsieur Le Gâteau story. My upstairs neighbor, Monsieur Le Gâteau, was a very interesting fellow. He had traveled and explored all over the world. And every time I went to meet him for a cup of coffee and a croissant, he always had an incredible story to tell me. Now, if you saw Monsieur Le Gâteau on the street, you would never think he was a famous explorer, but he was. For Monsieur Le Gâteau was the strangest looking person in all of London, England. To start with, he had an enormous nose and big hairy ears, which are very, very unique. He also had little tiny spectacles that he'd peer at you through. He had big puffy hair and he seemed to love purple suits with a black top hat. If you saw him walking towards you, you would think, what a strange looking fellow. However, the strangest part of Monsieur Le Gâteau was not his purple suit or his top hat or his hairy ears. It was the fact that Monsieur Le Gâteau was always covered in croissant crumbs. The reason Monsieur Le Gâteau was covered in croissants because that was pretty much all he ever ate. For breakfast, croissants. For lunch, croissants. For dinner, giant croissants. In fact, whenever he got a chance, he preferred to have giant croissants. And I remember when I first went to his apartment, I thought I'd seen big croissants, but Monsieur Le Gâteau's croissants were enormous. They were bigger than the size of my head. In fact, they were bigger than babies. And Monsieur Le Gâteau would come in saying, oh, look, I've got some delicious croissants. And he'd be holding the croissant in his arm like a little baby, rocking it to and fro. In fact, I almost wondered if he was gonna sing a lullaby to the croissant. Instead, he put it on the table and then ferociously started to eat the croissant. If you've ever seen a chainsaw going through wood and all the little sawdust going everywhere, that was a little bit like it was watching Monsieur Le Gâteau eat one of his croissants. But he never ate just one. He ate two or four 
or six or eight or 10 or 12. In fact, it was surprising that Monsieur Le Gâteau was still alive, considering he had the worst diet I had ever seen. But enough about Monsieur Le Gâteau's diet. I want to tell you the story that Monsieur Le Gâteau told me about three weeks after he moved in. I was in his apartment with a cup of coffee. In fact, it's probably not even coffee. It was sugar that had just enough coffee to make the white sugar turn black. And I had a croissant that was the size of a mid-sized dog. I was sitting looking around when I noticed in the far corner, there was an enormous sparkling rock. Surely that can't be a diamond, I thought, for when I looked at it, it was the size of a rugby ball. It was bigger than a football or a soccer ball. And it was hidden away in a corner behind some books. If someone had a diamond that big, they would never hide it away. But then Monsieur Le Gâteau was different from other people. When he came back in the room, he was bouncing off the walls. He'd had two or three sugars, uh, I mean coffees, and he was pretty excited. So my friend, yes, I got to tell you about a wonderful story, he said. I held my hands up. Wait, Monsieur Le Gâteau, is that a diamond in the corner? Monsieur Le Gâteau turned his head quickly and he smiled sheepishly. Oh, that was supposed to be hidden behind some books. How did it slip out? My eyes were wide. Is that a diamond then? Monsieur Le Gâteau smiled. He said, maybe, maybe not. I've never had a gemologist look at it. A gemologist, I said. Yes, the people who are experts in gems. I don't know if it's real, and frankly, I don't care. It was one of my worst adventures ever. I looked at Monsieur Le Gâteau. You found this diamond on an adventure? Yes, but I do not want to talk about it. But why? This sounds incredible. If that's a real diamond, it's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. That might even be worth a billion dollars. Monsieur Le Gâteau looked away nonchalantly. I do not care for money. This diamond is for me a memory of what can go wrong on an expedition. Please, I said, Monsieur Le Gâteau, please tell me this story. No, it brings up too many bad memories. But you just told me you kept this specifically for remembering how expeditions can go wrong. Monsieur Le Gâteau looked at me. He stared very, very closely. Hmm. You are right. I did say that I kept this to remember. And the truth is, I try to forget. For this was an expedition where I almost lost my life. First off, you'd never expect he was an explorer. But after hearing all of his tales 
I knew he was one of the world's best explorers, if not the best. He'd been in many dangerous situations and never been scared. So to hear him say this, I knew it must have been a serious situation. Pleadingly, I said, please, Monsieur Le Gâteau, tell me the story so I won't make the same mistakes. Monsieur Le Gâteau looked at me. Okay, I will tell you this story, but you must promise me that you will learn from this story. I readily agreed to do this, excited to hear a story that he had never told me before. He sat down in his big comfy leather chair. It had dark wood arms and you could tell Monsieur Le Gâteau spent lots of time in this chair, reading books, poring over maps and remembering his favorite expeditions and adventures. It started like this said Monsieur Legato. I was contacted by a prince from one of the ancient, ancient peoples that lived in the deserts of Arabia. He was now rich with money from oil. But the truth is, oil is nothing to look at that is nice. In fact, all the oil he had did not bring him happiness. The only thing that made this prince happy were jewels. I looked at him. I had heard of princes like this that were ancient, ancient people that lived in the desert. They valued camels and they valued the family and they'd become insanely rich because under the desert were enormous amounts of oil. And the one thing the world needed was oil. Monsieur Le Gâteau paused, looking at me. To be honest, I didn't really want to find any jewels. I find jewels kind of boring. But this prince made me an offer I could not refuse. How much money did he offer you, I asked. Oh, it wasn't money. I had some debts. Oh, like money debts, I said. No, not money debts. These were debts where I owed favors. Favors that could not be paid with money. You know, I'd been in some pretty sticky situations and local kings or rulers and some very powerful queens had taken pity on me and saved my life. And I had given them promises, but I hadn't been able to complete all the promises I'd made. This prince said, if I could get him one special jewel, all my debts would be repaid and everything I found besides that jewel, I could keep. You can understand 
That was a very attractive offer. While Monsieur Legato was talking, my mind was racing. He'd been saved by queens and kings and rulers all over the world. He was more of an adventurer than I even realized. I looked at him with my eyes begging him to continue telling the story. Well, what this prince wanted was there was an ancient Inuit story about an enormous cave that was filled with diamonds up in the Arctic. And at the center of a cave was an enormous diamond, the biggest one in the entire world. I looked at Monsieur Le Gâteau. I said, what are Inuit? I've never heard that term. Monsieur Le Gâteau smiled. He said, they are the indigenous people that have lived in the Arctic for thousands of years. They've lived in the most inhospitable place on earth, for there is no grass or trees, and they have learnt to build igloos. They make their homes in the winter out of snow and ice. I had heard of igloos before, but I was never really sure if they were real. I said, it sounds to me like these Inuit are very similar to the people that would live in the desert. The desert is so hot and it's just rocks and sand. The Arctic and the Inuit, it's so cold. There's just snow and ice. Monsieur Legato said, yes, it is very, very similar. That's a good observation. But there's one difference. Under the deserts is oil and gas. Under the Arctic, we don't know. It's so inhospitable. It's tough for humans to live there. But this was my mission, even getting up to the location where this mine was, was proving very, very difficult. Monsieur Legato stood up and got a map of the world. Come here and have a look. I walked over. He traced his hand. Here is Europe. He moved his hand across the map. And here is the United States and Canada. He then moved his hand to the very, very top of it. And way up here is the high Arctic. I looked at the map and it was full of islands. And I said, how interesting all these islands. Monsieur Legato smiled. You see, they aren't islands. For most of the year, it's all ice. Some years, the ice never melts, though recently, it's melting more and more. In fact, the Arctic is warming at the fastest pace in the entire world. I said, what do you mean, Monsieur Legato? Well, in the last 30 years, the Arctic is almost five degrees warmer on average in the summer. 
That means all the ice is melting and actually boats can go through some place called the Northwest Passage. I'd heard of the Northwest Passage. I said, didn't famous explorers die there? Yes, for a long time it was a source of misery. Explorers wanted to find a faster route to China and India, and they thought they could go over the continent of North America. Most famously, John Franklin and his ships perished there. It's a very, very sad story. And as I landed on Baffin Island, I was worried myself. This was a most inhospitable place to go. It was so remote. There were less than a hundred people on the island when I went there. And the people were only there in summer. For in winter it was dark and freezing. This was a very interesting place to go. And when I looked on the map, it was so far near the top. I had seen these places on maps before, but I'd never met anyone who had actually gone that far north. Monsieur Legato continued. There was one local Inuit elder who was a famous outdoors person. He had been very, very successful in hunting to support other Inuit on the island. His name was Atandut, and Atandut was going to be my local guide. Unfortunately, Atandut did not speak English, and I did not speak his language for only a few thousand people on earth spoke his Inuit language. And so we did the entire trip using hand signals to communicate. When my plane landed, it wasn't at an airport. In fact, it was a tiny plane. And instead of wheels, it had skis on the bottom. It landed on a snow field. The propeller didn't stop. I jumped out as well as five bags of equipment and gear. The plane took off. There wasn't one house in sight. In fact, there wasn't one house on all of Baffin Island, for the Inuit there lived in igloos. Once the plane had left, I could feel the chill. I wondered, was anybody here to help me? Then I heard a bark. And I turned around and a dog sled came up. It was some very scraggly dogs. They didn't look like they were going to be really powerful, but they were going so fast. I was impressed. And behind at the end of the sleigh was a tandut. When the sleigh stopped, I had my first surprise. What was it? I said. Excited to know more about a tandut, this incredible hunter and explorer. A tandut removed the enormous hood on the coat. And I was surprised to realize a tandut, who I'd always assumed was a man, 
was actually a woman. The most powerful hunter and explorer on all of Baffin Island was a woman. And back in those days, that was not normal. This was almost 50 years ago. Wow, I said, that sounds interesting. Oh, it was. And there was a reason she was the best. She understood the land and the animals and the people so well. I was so fortunate to have a Tandut as my guide. Behind her was a second dog sleigh and we spent several hours with her training me how to be a musher. For that's what you call a person who is on a dog sleigh. I learned the commands to make the dogs go and stop and to turn. And I'll be honest, I fell off many times at the very start. But quickly I became very good at handling a dog sleigh. In my mind I was envisioning Monsieur Le Gâteau, much younger and without all the croissant flakes all over his body on a dog sleigh, making it start and stop and turn. It was quite an exciting time, said Monsieur Le Gâteau, and soon we were off. A Tandut had heard the same myths about a cave somewhere on the island, and it was the height of summer, which meant if we'd ever find the entrance to the cave, it would be in the next seven days for summer only lasted until the middle of August. Then the snow and the ice would set in. We had a very crude map. It was a drawing on a seal skin from hundreds of years ago that the prince from the desert in Arabia had somehow how acquired. It showed a rough outline of Baffin Island, as well as some hills, but the detail was not good enough. Imagine this island was hundreds of kilometers long and the map was smaller than a book. Luckily, Atandut had explored almost the entire island herself and she was able to have a few ideas of where this cave entrance might be. This is the end of the first half of the story of the world's biggest diamond. Tune in next week to hear episode two. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating. This podcast and all the ideas and characters are copyrighted by myself, Richard. Bye-bye.